Noah. Noah had a dove. Elijah had a raven. <laughs> Isaiah talked about eagles. I think I have a bat. So we'll go with it. Um, we're going to start Hebrews today. And uh, probably not finish next week. So if you want to get used to turning open to uh, Hebrews, um, we're, gonna, we're just going to hit a couple of verses this morning and just kind of open the door into, into Hebrews, get a little bit of an idea of, of what Hebrews is all about. And um, we won't hit all the finer points today, but uh, hopefully we can get a kind of 30,000 foot view of it and um, prepare us for, for diving in. I'd like to just start by um, asking the Lord to, to lead our steps here. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your kindness once again. We thank you for your hand that, that upholds us and uh, overshadows us, protects us. Father, we, we are reminded of uh, daily of your great care for us and not least of which is the remembrance of your Son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us. And we gather in his name today. As we open your word, we ask that you would open our eyes and our hearts, uh, that we would understand and uh, what, we, what we encounter, what you reveal to us today, and that, that you would also uh, acquaint us more deeply with, with our Savior, with our Lord. Um, but we ask that you would direct our steps as we begin this journey in Hebrews, that you would help us to understand your word in a complete way, and um, Lord, that you would speak to us by it, that your word would find a fertile place within us to take root and grow. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Hebrews chapter 1. So I'm excited to get into Hebrews, um, especially as we wrapped up Exodus. Uh, Hebrews is, is kind, of a, uh, uh, kind of a New Testament commentary on the Old Testament. And uh, it, it looks a lot at, at what God was doing and then frames it in the light of what God has now done in Jesus Christ. And uh, I, love, I love Hebrews from that perspective because we read, uh, for, for most of us, when we read the Old Testament, we don't have um, much of a, a Jewish uh, understanding of a lot of it. And so we can miss some of what's going on there and, and what's being said. And, and um, Hebrews just really helps us understand it, I think, more fully what we've looked at already in Exodus as Exodus, we're kind of going through Exodus as the Old Testament gospel that looks forward to the coming of, of Jesus Christ. And Hebrews now says he's here. And all that stuff was pointing to this moment when God sends his son, and here he is. And um, so we're going to look at, at uh, a couple of things here regarding Hebrews, and then we're going to look at the first couple of verses. First thing I wanted to look at is just, just kind of some basic facts about Hebrews. Um, one is that it seems that it, it would have been uh, written before the destruction of the temple 
in Jerusalem, uh, which is around A.D. 70. So all of the reason for that is that there's so much talk of the temple and what happens in the temple and the sacrificial system, but no reference at all to that being done away with or destroyed. And so it's pretty likely it happened before that destruction, but um, it seems that the believers here um, are, are enduring some forms of persecution and suffering related to their faith in Christ. So, um, you know, perhaps here on the front end of the rise of that persecution. And so that gives us an idea of the time frame that we're looking at. And as far as an author goes, you know, that's the great mystery. But I suppose it's fitting, you know, there's been several ideas floated and some good cases made for each of them. Uh, ideas that uh, Paul is a very popular one, the Apostle Paul, that it, maybe he wrote it, or Clement, or Luke, or Barnabas, or Apollos, and the list actually keeps going on and on. Um, and, and there are cases for each of those, and, and, but, you know, uh, the author doesn't tell us. And, um, and so we, I, you know, I suppose as we look at this, it's actually rather fitting that Hebrews doesn't start with the introduction of an author because Hebrews begins with God spoke. And so the author here really is God. It really doesn't matter whom God used to speak here through this. Um, although I'm, I'm sure at this point in, in salvation history they feel quite honored that God would do so. But... Uh, but what matters is that God speaks. And so, as far as the audience goes, it um, seems to be uh, the target audience is Jewish believers. As we go through Hebrews, we're going to get into a lot of um, sort of Old Testament stuff. And, and really, ultimately, pointing forward to Christ being the fulfillment of this. And so as believers here, were, it seems that they were going through some different trials and, and sufferings, um, difficulties, and um, it even kind of seems that maybe their, their, their faith, their, their uh, fortitude was waning a bit. And so there's a, a call for them to, to hang in there, and the foundation of that, the reasoning for them to persevere is the, who Jesus is and what he's done. And, in fact, I wanted to look at just a few examples of that throughout Hebrews that are scattered throughout Hebrews, this call for uh, this encouragement and and spurring on and uh, this call to persevere. Um, One example is in Hebrews chapter 6, and this is one that that I have so often um, gone back to for myself. Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 17, and I don't think I have these on the screen for you, so Hebrews 6, 17 through 20, and the ones I'm going to give you today actually are, are, are pretty good ones if you just uh, would like to acquaint yourself with what Hebrews is about. Um, so we have the opening four verses here this morning that we're going to look at, uh, and then these particular passages, they're going to give you a pretty good idea of, of what Hebrews is targeted towards. And so uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17 through 20. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. 
We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, I'm not going to go into Melchizedek right now, and you catch uh, probably the reference there. The inner place behind the curtain is a reference to the temple and, and the Holy of Holies where only one person was allowed in there once a year and only under certain restrictions and guidelines at that. And yet, that way has been opened up through Jesus Christ to everyone who believes. And so there's this encouragement that we who have fled for refuge have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. And that is our hope in Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, turn there with me. And uh, we won't read the whole of Hebrews 12, but really the whole of Hebrews chapter 12 is just one long uh, stream of encouragement and, it, and, and just spurring on and a perserv- called a persevere in Christ. It starts off like this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, this is referring to chapter 11 where there's a recounting of those who have walked by faith and trusted, trusted God, even though the promises they were trusting in, they, they didn't see them come to fruition in their earthly lifetime. But yet they still continued to look forward by faith in what God was going to do. And it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and, found and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured it from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And it continues to go on with this strong encouragement of whatever you're going through, whatever you're suffering through right now, hang in there because cons- and, and to help you hang in there, consider Jesus Christ who's gone before you and what he has done for you. What it cost him. And how he persevered, and it was for the joy set before him that he did so. So we have strong encouragement to continue to have hope and to persevere. Turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. This is the the close of Hebrews. And uh, left with this, this little benediction, closing word, closing encouragement. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So Hebrews is about, uh, I would say, uh, two basic things. Now we may pull other things out of there for sure. And um, the secondary thing is, is that believers would be uh, in, strongly encouraged and spurred on uh, to persevere. And I say secondary because the sec- that secondary point hinges off the primary point, which is Jesus is greater. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is God. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the King of kings. Jesus is the priest of priests. Jesus is the prophet of prophets. He is Lord of all. 
and everything is by him and through him and for him. That is the overarching reigning theme of Hebrews. It's about Jesus, Jesus Christ. And so we have um, this uh, Hebrews here then in, in being the sort of uh, the New Testament commentary on the Old Testament is going to bring forth truths that from the Old Testament and now, and now give revelation to what they meant um, because they, there was sort of a, uh, we call it lesser fulfillment, greater fulfillment. That is, there was a time and a place where God did things in a sort of shorter period of time where he accomplished certain things, but the greater fulfillment was the pointing forward to what he has done through Jesus Christ. So, for instance, in Exodus, there's a lesser fulfillment in the salvation of Israel, meaning that God said he's going to save his people, he's going to become their God, he's going to have fellowship with them, live in their midst. The lesser fulfillment is that he rescues them out of Egypt, brings them out of slavery to a homeland where he makes his manifest presence known with them, known among them. But the greater fulfillment is that God sends his son so that everyone who believes in him may become part of the family of God and be a part of and have fellowship with him and be near to him for eternity. So there's lesser fulfillment and greater fulfillment. Hebrews brings to light the greater fulfillment of things in Christ. Now the major themes of uh, uh, Hebrews, which we've kind of hit on here, is uh, first one is Jesus is supremely greater than the prophets, than the angels, than the kings, than the priests. Namely because he is God. Secondly, Jesus is the final, complete, and perfect prophet, king, and priest. So we're going to get into, you heard the reference to Melchizedek. Um, there's going to be uh, other references here as we go through Hebrews that uh, we're going to see that Jesus is, is greater than all who have come before. Um, and so we have uh, Jesus is, is the, the completion of everything God has spoken beforehand. Third thing, Jesus is the final atoning sacrifice for all mankind for all ages. So we're going to look at the sacrificial system. And then what we're going to find out is, in fact, it just says, uh, even right here in verse uh, 4, or verse 3, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is really, really, really big. It's easy to miss, but this is a huge statement because in the sacrificial system, the priest's job was never done because sins were never fully atoned for. But when Christ came and gave his life for humanity, he sat down at the right hand of God, which was a signaling that it's complete. It's finished. The work is done. Now we're going to get way more into that later. Verse 4, or the second, fourth thing, Jesus is the one and only Savior from sin and the one and only mediator between the Father and us. He is our mediator before the Father, the Son of God. And fifth thing, Jesus is God's final word on salvation. Just stick the period there. All all that's been spoken of about what God is going to do to save his people up to this point, this is the final word on it. That God sent his son. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he sent his son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have 
eternal life, period. There's no addendum to that, like, except for this. Or, uh, but I forgot about that. Period, Jesus is Savior, sufficient Savior. So let's look here at a couple of verses here as we uh, uh, just begin to chip away at the opening here. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So uh, what the first statement here is that God has been speaking throughout history in bits and pieces and in various ways, the implication is it hasn't been complete. It's bits and pieces. It's fragments of revelation that haven't been fully understood because the revelation hasn't been complete yet. So long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So God spoke in many ways, at many times, in bits and pieces along the way, um, through people that he empowered to speak on his behalf. So God spoke through sinners to other sinners in fragments and pieces of revelation about him, about, about salvation that's coming. Now, none of it was bad, none of it was wrong, it just wasn't complete yet. But in these latter days, he has spoken to us by his son. So he had formerly spoken through prophets, sinners speaking to sinners, but now he has spoken through his Son, the very Son of God. So this trumps everyone who's come before, though they spoke the words of God, they did not have the authority or the essence or the deity of God the Son. And so though their words were true, And though they were powerful, and though they were still the revelation of God, God has now spoken through His very Son, Jesus Christ. Whom He appointed the heir of all things. Um, Through whom He also created the world. So in this uh, statement that in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, there is this, uh, there's this sort of turning of the page. It's like in our scriptures, it would be like you, you just finished Malachi and you just flipped the page and now unfolding before you is the entrance of your Savior. God's, God's complete word on salvation coming to fruition through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so God has spoken previously through prophets, and now he has spoken to us through his Son directly. There's a finality to this, a decisiveness, a completeness, a perfection associated with the way God has spoken now through his Son. God speaking through his Son... Um, communicates to us here right away in Hebrews uh, that, that we ought to sit up and take note. Um, there was uh, a, a guy named Anthony in Athanasia. Uh, I, don't ask me who he is. I just know he's like old old guy that 
that's been gone a long time that seems to have had quite a lot of influence. All right, so we could do more research on that. But he, he was a Christian, and he had um, some friends in Rome. And, uh, and he had uh, received a letter from the emperor, Rome, which was a big deal. But his comment was, uh, this is my nutshell version of it, the comment was that rather than thinking it's a big deal to get a letter from the emperor, God has spoken to us through his son. So, getting a letter from the emperor sounds like a big deal. What about God speaking directly to us through his son? That's what we really ought to pay attention to. That God would speak to us through his very son, Jesus Christ. So, previous revelations were a bit incomplete and partial, but now it has come through Jesus Christ. Christ word is superior Christ is superior to those who have come before him Jesus is the son of God look at John chapter 1 verses uh, 1 and 2 in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was in the beginning with God so um, who was there in the beginning this is a reference to Christ by the way and the word in the beginning There was God, Jesus. Jesus was there in the beginning, at creation, before creation, he was there. So when we open up Genesis and we read about God creating the heavens and the earth and all the critters therein and this little guy back here and and, uh, each of us, that who was there at creation? Jesus. Matthew chapter 28 verse 19 is Jesus' sharing last words with the disciples, and he's preparing to ascend into heaven. Um, He says, go therefore, in in verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In the name of whom? The Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Why in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit? Because the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one in essence. Distinct in persons, but one in essence, the triune God. The one and only God who is expressed through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, while in perfect harmony, in perfect fellowship with one another, also in having distinct roles, that the Son has been sent to save mankind. So the Son is, they, they each are eternal. They're eternal. They're, they're, they're God. They, they have God's authority, God's power, God's holiness, and yet distinct roles that they operate in. And here as we open up Hebrews, we have God the Son. Now, this, And the reason I bring this up is because we ought not to think about this as sort of, um, when we think of our son, if you have a son, you think of, well, there was a time when he wasn't, and now there's a time that he is, right? But that's not so with Jesus Christ. He has always been and always will be God the Son. He is God the Son eternally. And he has been appointed to be the heir of all things. 
So Jesus, through though being, um, there, there's kind of an interesting dynamic here with Jesus being the Son of God. One, he is, he is the Son of God, God the Son. Uh, in, in matter of fact, that's just who he is. But there's also a way, a way in which he becomes that. I want to explain that in that he, he, had an, uh, he walked obediently to the Father. He came from heaven to earth and laid down his life for us took God's wrath upon him, and in so doing, fulfilled the role of the son and exhibited that he is, in fact, son. So there's a way in which he was revealed through what he did. So he was, in fact, son of God, but there's a way in which he is revealed as the son of God through what he did. And so there's a way in which he is and becomes the son of God, if that makes sense. He becomes the son of God in that he fulfilled what he came to do. And in Philippians chapter 2, um, if we want to look there real quick, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And so there is all glory and honor and praise to Jesus Christ, who was obedient even to the point of death, to bring you and I into the family of God. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 then, right after the, the, the part we're looking at here, it, goes, it says something pretty similar. Um, it says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And the last thing we're going to look at here is Jesus as Creator. Says through whom he also created the world. Through him all things were created. So when we, um, well, for instance, we were in John chapter one. John chapter one, verse three. It says uh, this. We have it for you. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That's the word of God. It was and is and is to come. The word of God who became flesh. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all are all things and for whom we exist and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Romans chapter 11 verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. So if there was any doubt where Jesus was at creation now we know. If there was any doubt whether he had the power of 
creator God, now we know. And Hebrews is centrally focused on who Jesus is, God in human flesh, God's complete revelation of salvation, God's Savior, sufficient Savior, God's final blow of defeat to sin and death, um, our perfect and sufficient high priest who represents us before God, our hope, our reason for persevering through difficulty and suffering. I would like to, to end this morning by um, joining together in, in the first four verses of Hebrews. Um, this is, uh, I will probably do this on a regular occasion. These first four verses are powerful and they point the trajectory for us of what Hebrews is going to be about. And they also give us a very uh, good grounding in who our Lord is. So let's, uh, would, you, would you stand with me as we um, read this together? Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Long ago, and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Lord Jesus, we praise you and worship you for all that you are. Son of God, the radiant glory of God, our Savior, our our priest who represents us to the Father. We are so thankful that you would give your life for us. Lord, we ask that you would teach us your ways, that you would help us to know you more fully, that you would help us to surrender ourselves more completely, that you would show us how your word has been speaking one collective message always, the message of God's love for those whom he's created and his plan to rescue and redeem them, that we would know you, that we would walk with you, that we would belong to you. Lord, for those who here this morning may not yet belong to you, I ask that you would prompt in their heart right now to give their life to you, to trust you, to ask you for forgiveness to ask you to be their Lord and Savior, to teach them your ways, to help them along, uh, Lord, to, to love with your love, to experience your grace, to know your peace, to be filled with your joy, to know what it is to be set free from the guilt and shame of past sin, and to also know the comfort, the security, the 
the, the joy of being called a child of God. Lord, we thank you in, G- in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. This morning we're gonna uh, we're gonna close a little differently than we normally do. Uh, Susie had to uh, head down to the park to uh, um, prepare for some of the events down there. But in light of who Christ is, uh, we're gonna close with uh, the doxology uh, that you many of you may know. If you don't, it's hymn number five seven two. All celebrate his name today, church, and walk in his radiant light, for he is the radiant image of God who has saved you.